You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of uh, Collected Works by Rudolf Steiner, Collected Works number 218, entitled Spirit as Sculptor of the Human Organism, and it's translated by Matthew Barton. This is Lecture 7, given in London on the 12th of November, 1922. Last time I was here, you may remember that I spoke to you about the human soul's experiences during sleep and today I wish to develop this theme further. If we consider only our waking life, half of human life remains hidden from us. The most important things occur during sleep. I have spoken to you here in London before about the method of inquiry based on exact clairvoyance, and so there is no need for me to explain again today that what I will describe is based on this. I will assume that you understand that insights presented here draw on an exact science of clairvoyance. When we pass from a waking state of consciousness to that of sleep, which is basically a state of unconsciousness for people today, we are no longer in our physical or etheric body. During sleep we are a being of pure spirit, and while we are asleep, As a being of spirit and soul, we experience the things I described to you last time from a particular angle. You will recall that during sleep, we first experience our being penetrating the cosmic ether, which causes a certain anxiety to rise up in us, a fear of the unknown, nebulous and undifferentiated. And you will also remember that something awakens in the soul at this moment, which we can name with an expression drawn from our conscious life, a yearning for the divine. Then you will also recall that in a second stage of sleep we pass through replicas or images of the planetary movements and that for a person who has a relationship to the mystery of Golgotha, Christ appears as a guide through these otherwise chaotic experiences these images of the life of planets we pass through during sleep. Then comes an experience of the world of fixed stars. We have now passed beyond the planetary sphere, though only in image or reflection, and experience the fixed star constellations. From the moment we fall asleep to the moment of awakening, therefore, we experience all of extra-telluric cosmic existence, And I also said to you that the moon forces, the spiritual counterpart of moon phenomena, always lead us back in the morning, or whenever we wake up, into our physical and etheric body. Today I would like to describe these experiences during sleep from another perspective. In our waking consciousness during the day, We possess, if we are not entangled in modern humanity's materialistic ideas, 
a moral and religious foundation for our life. Besides our sense-based knowledge, we need to feel that we also have moral obligations and responsibilities. And furthermore, that our whole being rests and is rooted in a world of spirit. We can call the latter a religious awareness. This moral and religious consciousness is something we possess while awake, and yet we only do so by virtue of inhabiting our physical body. In fact, we are not alone in our physical body, but spirits of higher hierarchies are also present with us, dwelling with us in our body. In our etheric body, too, we live alongside the moral intentions of these spirits of the higher hierarchies. In other words, our religious consciousness is dependent on living in the physical body, while moral life is dependent on our life in the etheric body. This can make us aware that the world ether from which our etheric body is drawn has two aspects, one of which is warmth, light, chemical ether, and life ether. But underlying all these etheric qualities of warmth, light, chemical processes, and life is the other aspect, the moral essence of the cosmic ether. This moral essence only exists, however, in proximity to the stars and planets. In living upon earth, you see, even though you are unaware of this during the day, you are also contained in the cosmic ether as moral essence. And when you wander through the starry worlds, you are also within the moral essence of the world ether in the neighborhood of a celestial body. Between the stars, sunlight drives out the moral element from the ether. The light of the sun shines, but not the sun itself, a celestial body which for us human beings contains the primordial source of the moral ether, dispels the ether's moral essence. And therefore, when our eyes look out into the world, we see flowers, see springs, see everything without imbuing what we see with a moral quality. And this is because sunlight dispels and deadens the moral element. And when, in falling asleep, we emerge from our physical and etheric body as beings of spirit and soul, we initially have nothing other than what we acquire during earthly life by perceiving the natural world around us. However paradoxical this sounds, we leave behind in bed our religious feeling and moral sensibility with the physical and etheric body and live as an amoral being during sleep. During this time we live in a world otherwise illumined by sunlight. And because the moral world order is dispelled from the ether, the being of Araman gains entry to this ether into which we come as we fall asleep. As we sleep, this Aramanic being speaks to us, and basically this is a dire business, since Araman is rightly called the spirit of untruth. This is because he presents good as ill and evil as good to sleeping human beings. Recently, there was a piece published in the newspaper about something scientists have also been studying. The question as to why criminals sleep so well 
whereas moral people have a good conscience, excuse me, with a good conscience, often sleep badly. This can be explained by what I have said. Someone with a strong conscience, a person of inward and moral sensibility, possesses a soul that goes so deeply into moral feelings that he takes this with him into sleep and sleeps badly if he believes he has done much ill. But a person without a strongly developed moral conscience takes no pangs of conscience with him into sleep, and then his ears of spirit are wide open to the whisperings of Araman, who presents evil to him as good. This is why a criminal sleeps so soundly. People think this is unjust. Why should criminals sleep soundly while decent folk toss and turn? As I said, scientists have found this to be so. But it is caused by what I have described. The temptation to evil during sleep is huge. And as a person wakes up in the morning, he can easily bring the most demonic powers of temptation with him. Only as he comes back into his physical and etheric body do the pangs of conscience reawaken in someone who is not such a good human being. During sleep an earthly human being very easily succumbs to the temptations of Araman. This has only gradually come to be so, however, over the course of time. Only in our modern era are people exposed to such a great degree to the demonic powers that present evil to them as good while they, while they sleep. This was not so in earlier periods of human evolution, when, as I have often said, people did not have such a strong capital I consciousness. During their waking life they had a weaker sense of I, and this meant that during sleep they did not sail so blithely into the realm of evil as they now do. Human evolution is at a crisis point, a decisive era. People must arm themselves against the power of evil that approaches them. In former times human beings were protected, for as they fell asleep they merged more with the group soul, lived in the group soul during sleep. This group soul life is something we still develop to a certain degree in waking life, feeling ourselves part of a nation, often even of a tribe or sometimes with aristocratic airs and graces as members of a family. But nowadays sleep deprives us entirely of this group soul feeling. It is no longer possible nowadays to be easily aristocratic in sleep. Indeed, sleep educates us far more than you imagine. On the one hand, makes us more evil, and on the other, more democratic. Sleep is certainly a great teacher. In olden times, people entered the group soul when they fell asleep, and when they woke up again, returning to their physical and etheric body, they brought with them a strong sense of being part of a group. That is one aspect of the human being, what he is during sleep. But what occurs in sleep and is so greatly subject to evil as I have described is something we also possess within us today. We just have to immerse it during waking life in our moral and religious awareness. Let it flow into this. Religiosity is given us by the powers that live with the physical body and morality by those that live with the etheric body. 
All this changed for humanity's evolution with the mystery of Golgotha. In ancient times, people lived strongly in their group soul consciousness during sleep. And when they awoke, sinking back down into their physical and etheric body, they lived more individually. But here we find another difference between people in olden times and nowadays. When a person of former eras began waking up as he was immersing himself again in his physical and ether body, he had a clear awareness of his pre-earthly life before he woke up fully. And the same is true as he was just falling asleep. Thus, in those times, people had both a stronger group soul consciousness and a strong awareness of their participation in a life removed from the earth. They knew how they had descended from the world of spirit, passing through the world of stars and choosing a physical body here on earth. Later, this consciousness became dulled and obscured. Instead, humankind became clever, as we call it, People were imbued with faculties of judgment, discrimination, and such things. This only slowly evolved. And this is also why we can judge things so well in the morning, because our physical body gives us the power of judgment. We penetrate our physical and etheric body more strongly than people once did. And this was why they were aware of their previous existence, while we have a stronger sense of earthly existence. We settle down solidly in our physical and etheric body, something that was not the case in olden times. In older eras, people wore the physical and ether body more as something external to them, having the same sense of them that we have of our clothes. We no longer have this feeling. We no longer say, as was said in olden times, when someone went in through a doorway. I carry myself through the door. He meant his physical body. This was a common natural figure of speech in the old languages. Nowadays we say, I'm going through the door, because we push our capital I very solidly down into the physical body. And we consider this way of putting it self-evident and natural. As these developments continued, people lost an awareness of their connection with the world of spirit and the stars. In older times, a person knew that he was connected with the world of stars and behind it with the world of spirit and had descended from these worlds to earthly existence. In in the modern era, we say, I need food to live, meat, vegetables and eggs. All these are products of the physical world with which we are so involved from birth to death. Please don't think I mean to express any disregard for such things. They are all very good and part and parcel of life, and their full importance absolutely has to be acknowledged. All I wish to say is that people of olden times knew that to live they not only needed the strength of the earth that lies in cattle and cabbage and eggs, but also the strength of Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn. They knew that just as they needed to eat on earth, so... As they descended from the world of spirit, they needed to have imbibed the power of Jupiter and Venus to be a human being at all. A key concern of people today is what they should eat in order to be healthy. And similarly, people of ancient times felt it essential to have a relationship with the world of stars.
They knew that if they were in some way deficient on earth, incapable of doing something, then they had not conducted themselves properly as they descended from the stars and would need to correct this the next time they sojourned between death and a new birth. In olden times people developed what can be called a spiritual diet. In the ancient mysteries there were guides and leaders who resembled something like the modern physician, though the latter gives recommendations only about the body. This is quite natural and fitting. But the ancient guides in the mysteries, who in this respect were also physicians, gave suggestions about how, say, if someone was suffering from one complaint or another, he should improve his relationship to Venus or Saturn. And this was accomplished by giving people certain instructions for their soul conduct. Let us imagine that an ancient physician of this kind found that the person seeking healing from him was too strongly connected with his physical body, and that more than a kind of clothing, he lived in too strong a connection with it, a little like someone going to bed in his clothes, perhaps. Such a physician would say to this patient, suffering from a disorder involving excessive involvement in the physical body, try to wander a little under the full moon when it rises in the evening, and as you do so, speak this or that mantra. Why would he recommend this? Because he knew that when someone goes walking in moonlight and speaks a mantra, this counteracts the power of Saturn. Saturn gains less power over such a person. And this ancient physician in the mysteries knew that excessive clinging to the physical body, this full immersion in it, arose from a person adhering too strongly to Saturn as he descended from the world of spirit through the world of stars into earthly existence. His disorder was traced back to this excessive sympathy with Saturnian life. Moon and Saturn are celestial bodies that counteract each other. And thus an ancient physician would use moon forces to cure the negative influence of Saturn forces. Thus he gave a spiritual diet, and this was an ancient method of healing. We have a physical diet that we choose as appropriate for us. But in ancient times one needed a spiritual diet, and this is something we need to learn to add to our physical diet. The task of our modern era is to help people acquire a spiritual diet to enhance their physical diet, and this will enable us to meet the challenges of our times. That is what I wished to say in this first part of the lecture. I am very pleased to be able to give two lectures to you here, and so I am not in such a hurry today as I often am. I can therefore speak to you at le leisure of what I had in mind. In ancient times, through an elementary clairvoyance, people were able to look back to their life in the world of spirit before their earthly life began, and before they united with their physical and etheric body on earth. Today we can only achieve this through real spiritual science, as anthroposophy endeavors to develop it. Then, by looking back through a faculty of inspiration to the time preceding our descent to earth, we can realize that we live for a period in a world of pure spirit 
a world without the natural kingdoms of minerals, plants, or animals, not even containing stars as we see them in the earth's enfolding heavens, but instead seeing that we were surrounded by beings of the higher hierarchies. For a period between death and rebirth, we live amongst spiritual beings, and only then do we descend to the earth, passing the starry heavens as we do so with greater or lesser sympathy for different celestial spheres. Here we do really prepare our earthly life. Depending on the way in which we relate to the starry spheres as we pass through them, this forms our future earthly existence. And now I would like to illustrate this with an example. When we emerge from a world of pure spirit, we first pass through the sphere of fixed stars, and next time I will speak of this in more detail. Then we pass through the sphere of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars, the Sun's sphere, the spheres of Mercury, Venus, and Moon, gradually descending to the Earth. As we emerge from a world of pure spirit, in a sense we approach the stars from their far side. Here on earth we look up to Jupiter from our earthly perspective. But as human beings emerging from the world of spirit and descending through the starry spheres toward earth, we see Saturn and all the stars from the other side. Our being, in a sense, approaches a celestial body from behind, seeing always the opposite of what human beings see on earth. But the human entelechy approaching the earth from the world of spirit does not perceive in the same way as we do here. We have no eyes then, of course, which we only acquire through the physical body. And so we see the spiritual aspect of Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, the Sun, the spiritual aspect of Venus, Mercury, and Moon. Accordingly, as our being descends and, depending on the sympathy or antipathy experienced in one sphere or the other, it must assimilate the qualities of each sphere, of Saturn, Jupiter, and so forth. Now something like this can happen. A human entelechy who lived in a particular way in a former life gains the impression, as it descends toward a new life, that it would be good to become a woman the next time it is born, to incarnate in a female body. This is very much a consideration for the descending human soul whether to become a man or woman. Of course, the soul's whole destiny will greatly depend on this, for it is not a matter of indifference whether one spends one's life on earth as a man or a woman. But this isn't a simple, quick decision for the soul. It has to be prepared. And this preparation involves the human soul who desires to become a woman approaching the earth at a time that we below see as full moon. When we see the full moon in the sky above us, the human soul, as it enters from the spiritual sphere, perceives the spiritual aspect of the moon, perceiving it, in fact, as dark, or, in other words, filled with particular beings. Yes, the soul sees the moon spiritually, and these beings prepare the soul so that it attracts toward it an earthly female body. But when it is new moon from our earthly perspective, 
the descending soul sees the illumined moon from its other aspect, sees light shining out into cosmic space, or rather the spiritual aspect of this, and then it can become a man. It therefore depends on how the soul is passing through the starry spheres, whether it acquires the power to be male or female. But in the same way that the soul passes through the moon sphere, it also passes through the Mercury or Venus sphere, for example. Whereas the soul becomes a man or a woman in the moon sphere, it is endowed with sympathy for a particular family in the sphere of Venus. For it could become a man or woman in any number of families. The human soul, descending to the earth, can either descend at a time when Venus is on the opposite side of the earth, so that it does not even need to pass through this sphere at all, then the person will become someone who is not much concerned about his family, or instead the soul will pass through the Venus sphere, and this leads him to a particular family. It is therefore possible for the soul to prepare itself for a particular family by choosing the ray, if you like, that shines toward it from Venus. The soul will approach the earth from the far side, the dark side of Venus, and in this way comes to a particular family. Likewise it passes through the sphere of Mercury, which leads it to a particular nation. So again this is true. When this nation's region is illumined by the rays of Mercury, as the soul approaches from the far or dark side of Mercury, it will find the way to this particular people. Thus the moon prepares human souls for birth, and in spiritual terms, for the decision about becoming a man or a woman. Venus shows us the way to a particular family, and Mercury to a particular people or nation. Our whole human life on earth is therefore dependent on how we shape things as we descend. This is something we need to come to understand once more, feeling ourselves as creatures of the world of stars, in the same way that on earth we feel ourselves to be creatures of hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, sulfur, and so on. We are not merely physical human beings, composed of protein and a few other substances, but have been formed by all the powers of the universe that work upon us as we descend toward birth, which we then contain within us, and of which, in a sense, we have a memory in sleep. But memory is, as you know, always weaker than the original experience. If someone close to you dies, the grief gradually wanes. In the same way, in sleep, our intimate involvement in the world of spirit and of the stars is weaker than it originally was. And this is why we are exposed in sleep to everything I described at the beginning today. In sleep we have only a weak reflection, a cosmic memory, if you like, of our spiritual and star experiences between death and this latest birth. The end of Lecture 7